All right, I'd invite you just to pull out your uh, bulletin notes, sermon notes for this week. It always feels like a magic trick when I suddenly magically appear here out of the baptistry. I think we need a trap door someday. I'll do it in like three seconds, just kind of appear and freak everyone out. Um, this morning, we're kind of continuing our uh, this little series that we're, that we're in, just looking at, at God's intent for the church. And uh, it's just good to be reminded, uh, big picture, what we're looking at and, and some different things. Pure and simple is what we're calling it. And we looked, we talked last week kind of just an overview idea of, of what, what does God want for His bride? Uh, along the back wall are some different metaphors that the scripture uses. Uh, someone asked me as I was hanging those, they said, do you even know these people uh, in these pictures? I said, no, not at all. Uh, there, she goes, why are we hanging them up? And I'm like, well, you'll see. Uh, and, and these are just images that kind of call forth what the scripture says about the church and what we're to be. Ideas like bride and family and a body and a flock of sheep are the things that it calls for. The idea that God's intent for the church is simple is really good for kind of our, our complex lives, isn't it? A lot of our lives are spinning more and more complex. And, and I know for me, as, as time goes on, life gets more complicated. There was a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth, and he was in the U.S. giving a seminar one time, and a student raised his hand. He said, Mr. Barth, he said, so what's the most profound thing you've ever discovered? What's the most profound truth in all the theology that you've thought about and written about and studied about? And Karl Barth, this famous theologian, kind of thought for a moment. He paused. He kind of leaned in on his podium like this. And he looked at them and he said this. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the students started to sort of giggle at that, and they thought that was kind of comical college students here. And their giggling kind of turned to nervousness, and then it stopped as they looked at his face and realized he was dead serious. That the most profound truth we learned in Sunday school. And what that says is this. It says that God takes the big ideas, the really weighty stuff, the really important stuff, and he puts it on the lowest shelf so that the youngest of kids can reach so that the simplest of minds can reach, so that the uneducated and those who can't even read can grasp and understand it. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful to look at God's design for the church because you actually see his heart in it. This morning, the idea is worship. And we're going to talk about just a huge subject this morning, but we're going to try to condense it into kind of a a few key thoughts. And the, the beauty of it is, is that we've already been participating in it. We've been singing. We've come together. We've witnessed a baptism. We're hearing God's word right now. What, what we're going to talk about here and what we're going to realize is that, and we say this all the time at Neighborhood, that the worship continues as we flow out of the worship service and go enjoy a meal together, huh? And those out there who are actually barbecuing right now, prepping for us, they're worshiping God right now. But, but they didn't hear the band. They weren't singing. They weren't even raising their hands. They were worshiping God. My favorite meal. Kids, I want you to think right now. What's your favorite meal that comes to mind? I'm not going to ask you what it is, but you need to get this in your mind. What is your favorite meal that mom and dad make? And when you hear that, your day lights up. Okay? I'm not going to ask, but I just want you to think about it. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you mine. Here it is. Ready? Macaroni and cheese. Okay? When it was macaroni and cheese day in my house, soccer practice was more fun. School went quicker. Even if it was raining, it was a sunny day. I mean, it was great. Now, this wasn't macaroni and cheese from a box. You didn't shake it and, and here and rip open packets. This was like mom, blood, sweat, and tears. I know that sounds gross, but go with me. 
making macaroni and cheese, right? And you come home and you just smell macaroni and cheese, and it's a, it's a really, really good day when it was macaroni and cheese day. Now, my parents are good people, and I've got I've to be kind because they're right here with us here in the second row. But there were some dark days growing up. And one of the darker days was the day that our macaroni and cheese dish turned to whole wheat macaroni and cheese. I don't know if this is true in your home, but in my home, if mom was dieting or mom was changing diet, the whole family changed diet. That's how it went down. And all of a sudden, we're having whole wheat macaroni and cheese, and life wasn't as good. And I was ripped apart as a child. You know, I'd hear macaroni and cheese, and then like two seconds later, I'd remember, oh yeah, we're in the whole wheat mode. And we revolted. Me and my brothers, we tried as best we could to get rid of the whole wheat macaroni and cheese because we didn't like it nearly as much. But you know what? Whole wheat macaroni and cheese was nothing compared to what came next. Here it was. Ready? Somewhere along the line, my mom and dad discovered carob. Carob. Okay, let me explain to you about carob. I'm glad many of you don't know this because you haven't been traumatized by it. Carob came along in our household and it started showing up in our trail mix. It started showing up in our pancakes and in our chocolate chip cookies. Okay? These were carob chips. Okay? Fake chocolate, kids. This is not good. Here's all you need to know about carob. Listen to this. This is Wikipedia. Okay? Go home to Wikipedia. Just type in carob chips. Here's what you'll get. Carob chips are an edible product. I mean, I don't have to tell you. We're not starting off good. Right? <laughs> Similar to chocolate chips made from carob, and carob is in the pea family. Okay? Now, I've grown to love peas, but when you're trying to put peas in my cookies, it ain't happening. They often serve as a substitute for chocolate chips. The color is the same as that of dark chocolate, although the taste is markedly different. Amen. Their appearance is nearly identical as regular chocolate chips. Now, catch this. Here's how the article ends. Remember how it began? It's edible. Here's how it ends. Carob chips are a safe chocolate alternative to use in treats and baked goods for dogs. When the Wikipedia article starts with it's edible and it's safe for dogs, this is not what you want in your home, okay? Now... There is a point. Listen to Psalm 100, okay? Psalm 100 says this. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this. God is God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people. His well-cared-for sheep. Many people in this world including perhaps some in this room, including some church folk who go every single Sunday and have a great record, have been duped into a small g carob God, a substitute. Now, people who've been duped into this small g God think that, that he tastes pretty good. And they try their best to choke him down. And they, they have him in their pancakes and in their cookies and their trail mix because they've never tasted the real thing. But here's what the Bible is quite clear on. The Old Testament name for God was Yahweh. And basically, especially in the Psalms, it says over and over, there is no substitute for the real God. 
This is all caps, God, G-O-D, the eternal one, the everlasting one who's revealed himself. There is absolutely no substitute for this God. And so don't be duped. If you don't get this, here's what happens. Religion ends up being a hobby. Now let me tell you, there are about a million and one hobbies that are way better than religion. If you've picked religion as a hobby, no wonder you're miserable in church. No wonder you're miserable in this kind of quasi-Christian Carib life. Religion makes a terrible hobby. I can think of a whole bunch of things more fun than that. So you can get it wrong that way, or you can get it wrong this way. I think the other way people get it wrong is this. There's a sort of role reversal that goes on. Did you hear that verse in Psalm 100? It's that God is God, and he made us, and we didn't make him. That means also that we aren't allowed to come in and make him into his liking any more than I can come along and make my wife into, into my liking and how I'd really like a wife to be. Think about every relationship you've ever had. You come to that person, and you relate to them as they are. Do people change? Absolutely. Does your understanding of them change? It should grow over time. But you don't come and make a friend in, their, in, in your image and then expect it to all work out. Here's what happens with role, ver, with role reversal. is where our God serves us and is for our purpose. Our worship service, what we're doing right here, we call a worship service often, is not about God's service to us, but rather it's about us as a community, as a community of believers who come and offer our service to God. You see how getting that backwards would be a huge mistake? Carob. Here's a picture of carob. Carob pods, okay? Cookies. Bad. Do not, just, they don't, they're not the same thing. I want that to lodge into your brain. Because as we talk about worship, it's really clear that we know what we're talking about. Not a God substitute, not an idol, not something else that fills that kind of God void in your life. The song we just sang was made to worship. That's either true or it isn't. Either there really is, by design, hardwired into people, this longing, this desire to worship. And as you look worldwide, not even as a Christian, you just look worldwide as a, as a you know, photographer for National Geographic, here's what you'd catch. Every culture worship. Every culture, hands down. They can, they can have nothing similar whatsoever. It's hardwired into our being to offer up worship and praise. Here's the other truth. It's very hard sometimes to see what you worship in your own culture. I heard a guy that I like to listen to online once in a while talk about a football game. He went to a football game. And as he sat there looking around, he realized, man, this is a place of worship right here. 100,000 people sacrificing, coming and offering up, hands raised, fist pumping, praise to their care of God. Now, I don't have anything against football, and if you have tickets, I'm open. I'm, I'm free. Not on Sundays, usually. It's hard to work out, but not knocking football, per se, but, but catch what I'm saying. Praise is built into us, and sometimes in our own culture, it's hard to see what we worship and praise. That's why it's a joy for me to work with international students. I love to ask an international student who's been here for like five weeks, hey, what are your observations about the U.S.? You know what comes back sometimes? We've always heard the U.S. was a Christian nation. I said, yeah. I said, what, is that, what does that mean? I said, well, we don't, really, we don't really know what that means. There aren't many Christians in you know, Japan or China or wherever this kid was from. 
But I said, what, is it, what does it appear to you as you, as you kind of show up here? And, and what it said was this. Some of them have indicated this kind of a thought pattern. Church seems like this is as godless of a place as my home place, where we're at least open about it. We're just openly, there is no God, and we're not going to worship that way. Interesting to talk to people who are from a different culture, come and have commentary for our own culture. Because we are the church 100% of the time, not just when we gather for worship, doesn't it stand to reason that worship must be way more than what happens for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday? Say yes. Yes. So, so here's the thing, and we say this at, at MEC a lot. We, we want to stress this at this church, that, that, that worship is, is a lifestyle and not an event. It's not something you come to, participate in one hour and 15 minutes a week, like a hobby, like a reading group, and then go about your merry way. Instead, it's something that envelops everything that you are. And we're going to unpack that a little bit here this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is a, a simple definition of worship, Okay. We have some kids in here this morning. I'm going to get my water just because I'm thirsty. We have some kids in here this morning, and sometimes I like to strip things down. Really simple. We can pretend it's for the kids, but honestly, it's for me too. I need to know kind of a simple working definition of the word worship. Here it is. Ready? You can write this in your bulletin. Worship is putting a smile on God's face. Worship is putting a smile on God's face. That's just a really simple working definition that we'll kind of, we'll kind of work off of. Now, as you think about this, I wonder if you, like me, have ever been frustrated as you read the New Testament, as you read stories from churches around the world, as you read about revivals of the past. I love to read biographies because I'm weird. I like to read about people who lived a long time ago and see how did God move? How did God stir up things? And sometimes when I read these things and what God's doing in other parts of the world, I look and I say, God, why is it broken here? Why don't I read the New Testament? There's this shining example of what could be and what my brain can get around of what could be and what actually is. And sometimes it just really frustrates me. Is it potential? Is it possible for worship to be broken? I would say a resounding yes to that. Not only is vain worship possible, I'd say that it's a problem. And this is nothing new. Vain worship, unsuccessful, empty. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 15 talking about Pharisees, talking about the religious professionals, pastors, missionaries, listen up. Here's who he was talking to. You cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. That's not very polite, but he said it. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Is vain worship possible? Absolutely. Does Jesus want to call us out on it? You bet he does. If Jesus comes up and is calling your worship a circus, a sham, you know there's some adjustments that need to be made. No wonder the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's some, there's some guidelines, there's some, there's some boundaries, so to speak, when it comes to worship. I want to just put Dwayne on the spot for a second. Dwayne, stand up for one second. Dwayne and his lovely wife, Gina, who's sitting next to him, served as, uh, as missionaries in China for how, how long? For two years. I want to ask you a quick question. This is on the spot. He didn't get any prep time for this. That's how it goes. Um, let me just ask you this. You've been coming here for, for quite a while now. And uh, 
you kind of have a sense of, of how we do things. How is worship in China different than, than worship gatherings, a worship service here in the U.S.? Just name like one or two things of how it's different. If we all had the opportunity to go travel around the world and be a part of different kinds of, of worship services and worship gatherings and praise times and revivals and all of this, you, you, would, you would just begin to know, notice a huge variety, massive difference. I love San Jose Christian College because our first dorm devotion that I ever was a part of there, like four African guys jumped up and started hopping around the room doing this crazy African dance. And a bunch of, you know, non-rhythmic whiteys were trying to keep up, you know. And we're like, what is happening? And it was really cool to just, like, get an, an eye-opening and say, wow, people in the continent of Africa worship different than Los Gatos, California does. And, and I had a roommate who was Korean, and my Korean roommate worshipped vastly different than I did. And my, my roommate, Jay, from India, who was, who was studying here to go back and plant churches in India, advised me on worship one day. I was leading worship for chapel. He said, Dave, man, the guitar is great, but I've got to give you really the, the instrument that will move people into worship. I said, Jay, please enlighten me. What is that? And he pulls out his accordion. I said, an accordion. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I said, are you serious? I said, Jay, play me something. And he starts to play. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back on the accordion. And tears are pouring down his eyes. And all of a sudden I thought, maybe he's right. Because I was moved to tears. It was a powerful scene in that dorm room, hearing him play that song. So here's my question to you. If worship is one way on this continent and one way on this continent and one way at this church and a different way two blocks over at a church down the street, what do we hang on to, what do we keep, and what do we discard or allow freedom for? That's where we're going this morning. That's what we're talking about this morning. I'm, go- I'm about to be showered with um, blank looks from some of you. And others of you in this room are going to begin to nod profusely over this next portion of time, okay? Here's what I mean by this. Uh, there, is a, there is a kind of car. I'm not a huge car guy. But there is a brand of car called Volvo, right? Now, Volvos represent, if you think about it, the left-brain-dominated person. Here are left-brain-dominated person types of traits. Logic, details, facts, words and language, math, science, knowing, um, they form strategies. They're practical and they're safe. Doesn't that sound like a Volvo? I mean, they added a few curves. They, they used to be just a box. And we said, we're a box. We're safe. That's what we are. They added a few curves, but they still know what they're about. They're a Volvo. Volvos are functional, safe, and practical. Man, I thought of a lot of different ones for this one, but there's a second brand of car. The Mini. The Mini is about style and about feeling and about fun. Here's right-brained traits, feeling, big picture, imagination, symbols and images, philosophy and religion, belief versus knowing, presents possibilities instead of strategies, impetuous and risk-taking. Here's what I've noticed over time, is that so often Volvos tend to marry minis. Isn't that true? Not always, but that tends to be, that tends to be pretty right on. And when you've got a Volvo and a Mini in a marriage, it just makes for all kinds of fun. There's, there's two different ways of attacking a problem. There's two different ways to plan a vacation. There's two different ways to set a table. 
I mean, it just goes on and on. The fun is really unending, if you think about it. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what kind of worship brings a smile to God's face. And I want you to notice what I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about style of music. I'm not going to talk about drums or no drums. I'm not talking about hands raised or unraised. I'm leaving all that for something else. We're going to get just at the, at the core of it, at the deeper kind of heart issue of it. What kind of worship brings a smile to God's face? Now, Volvos, brace yourselves. You're not going to like this first part. Minis, get your head ready. You're going to start nodding a whole bunch because you're just going to really like this. Here it is. Worship that is from the heart. Worship that is from the heart. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's a fill-in. Worship that is from the heart. What was the very first and foremost of all commands? According to Jesus, here it was. Love the Lord your God. There it was. Love the Lord your God. Worship that makes God smile. Worship that puts a smile on His face is worship that's from the heart. I want you to forget for a moment about what, what you feel and what you experience in a worship service as you're singing worship. So I think too often we talk about that. Let's turn that around and say, what does God feel? What is God experiencing when you are offering up worship? And again, I want you to broaden this beyond singing a song. Well, I'm not usually in tune, or in the mornings it's tough. I get better in the afternoon. I'm not talking about that. If worship really is about putting a smile on your father's face, then it can happen in a lot of different places. What is God experiencing? What is he feeling when that's going on? I had the opportunity in 2005 to go to China. And I was there for, I don't know, a couple, couple and a half weeks, something like that. Gone for a while, missing my kids. My kids were young. I came home, and I had just so much anticipation. I couldn't wait to be reunited with my kids, just like any of you guys when you take off. So we came home, and all the kids had different reactions to me being gone in China. Here's a picture. I had some gifts for them. And here's a picture of them uh, and some of the different gifts that I had brought back. And if you look closely at this picture, here's what you'll notice. You'll notice that Tegan looks a little bit upset. Tegan's the youngest one being held by mom. She almost looks a little spaced out, actually, but she's really just upset. Here's what happened. When I came home from China and I came in that door, three of my kids went, Daddy! And just in our house, it's a loud. I mean, the whole neighborhood knows when I come home from work. So three of them run into my arms and they're happy. You know what Tegan did? She absolutely burst into tears. She just started to sob. She was... She was so overwhelmed that her daddy was home. Fortunately, that's a good thing. Some of you are confused. You're like, whoa, what's going on in that house? It's a good thing. She burst into tears. And she just started to cry her little eyes out. You know how that made me feel? It made me feel insanely honored as a dad. That I could evoke that kind of emotion in a little, I don't even know how old she is. How, how old is she, babe? 18 months. She's getting it out of the month. I would have been happy with a year or two, three, I don't know. 18 months, four weeks. I mean, oh, four weeks. Uh, if I, that, that I could evoke that kind of emotion in her. She, she burst out crying because she was deeply moved to see me, and she was glad to have me home. We don't have a rule book in our house that says you're supposed to jump up and cheer, raise your arms, or burst into tears. And worship's a little bit like that. True worship is an end to itself. It can't be performed in hopes of getting something else or achieving some level of spirituality. Sometimes I think we think that it does. 
Think about any real feeling. Some of you have received devastating phone calls and you've begun to just weep. Some of you have been confronted by a bear and you've been super scared and fear just overtook your body. Some of you have had such anticipation over a coming event that you just, it wells up in you. Joy, sadness, surprise. Real feelings just well up in us. And there's a certain sense that there's not a, a rule book to say how that gets expressed. Now, Volvos, I want to warn you for a second. Some of you in your head are thinking, Dave, wait a minute. This could get out of control. We need some checks and balances to all of this because this sounds like you're going a direction that makes me really nervous in my Volvo heart. Calm down for one second, okay? I want to talk about, for a second, getting radical. I want to talk about the uncontrollable reflex-like worship that comes pouring out of people's lives sometimes. The next time you sneeze, I've shown this image before, but the next time you sneeze, I want you to try to hold it in. Okay? When you hold in a sneeze, it just becomes comical for everyone around. <coughs> you okay? <coughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> just let it out. I mean, here's a Kleenex. Do your thing. Let it out. It just, you know, it's like you just get really weird when you do that. And, and in worship, we can be trained a certain way that we're like, man, I feel like jumping up and down right now. I mean, I, I get it. I'm totally free of my sin. Yeah! And we're like, but this is a church where you're not really supposed to jump at all. I'll jump later. Jumping up and down. Reflex of worship. There's a certain kind of praise that wells up sometimes, and it's this idea of I can't possibly hold it in. It's like this, it's like this river that's just flowing, and you just, and you just go, man. And it just comes pouring out of your life, whether you like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's appropriate, cool, dignified, whatever word you want to put in there or not. And some of you have rationalized that away or been taught it away that that's inappropriate and that that shouldn't be. And so a little bit like holding a sneeze in, you keep a lid on that part of your life. Let me just have you look here for a second at John chapter 12. You can turn there if you like or just follow along. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Someone always objects when there's worship like this, doesn't it? I'll be honest, as a pastor at times, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to know exactly what to do. That's why I pray every service. God, Rob and I and others have, have put together a time and a theme and some scriptures, but this is really your service. Rob and I talked. Rob's a performer. He's sung a, a, a hundred times. When you go up and when you make an offering, you just say, Lord, there's an offering to you. Use it however you want. If you want me to fall flat on my face, it's worship. It's yours. Someone always objects. Judas's heart certainly wasn't in the right spot, but he was objecting. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I think John includes that for a couple of reasons. One is to say this was a costly, sacrificial surrender that was going on here. But secondly, isn't it interesting that Judas, whose heart was evil, whose heart was not for Christ, whose heart was not about following Jesus anywhere, 
but love to give the appearance of that. Love to give the appearance of spirituality. Love to give the spirit uh, the appearance of, of generosity. Man, we could have taken all this money and given it to the poor. Was his heart for the poor? No. But that's what we do sometimes. Religion says, put a coat on it. Make it sound super spiritual. Authentic worship is a response that can't be manufactured and it can't be managed. Here's what I'm getting at. Don't suddenly start trying to do this. There are some churches that will teach you how to do this. And it can turn into a manufactured kind of a thing. We could manufacture all kinds of things that someone walks in and by outward appearances say, wow, this church really worships God. I'd rather it be like what Dwayne said. Dwayne didn't catch that the very first Sunday he walked in this door. I can promise you that. If anything, we're not a super expressive church. But what Dwayne caught was an undercurrent that said, this church really worships God. Children remind us of this because of their many antics. And I speak from personal experience. This is my life right now. Children are blissfully unaware of their responsibility of their and, and we and we would call them irresponsible here here's what the word irresponsible is ready listen to this done look at the picture and listen done or characterized by a lack of a sense of responsibility does this jive with the picture absolutely you know what they were supposed to be doing when this picture was being taken being kids. We were just minding our own business, my wife and I, when all of a sudden some superheroes came out from the hallway. Like most of you, when our house gets quiet for too long, we worry. So we were probably in a prayer and fasting mode, I think, at the time. But something told us, don't go back and check on them. Let me just ask you this. Isn't that the fact that we're free from the burden of responsibility, one of the huge gifts of childhood. That's why we long to go back to childhood sometimes. Man, if all I had to do was ride my bike and be in by, by dark and play, that sounds really, really cool. And so a gift of childhood is to say, you're not responsible for hardly anything. And it's this burden that is lifted. I want you to think for a moment, what if we related to God as children? What if we, with our complex, uber-important lives, related to God as children? Hasn't God revealed himself to us as our Father? Hasn't he said it's your privilege to come and be my child? And that's just a really profound and powerful thought that would lead you to be free to worship and respond to God. Responsibility is so much more than forgiveness of sin. Does it start there? Of course it does. But there's a lightness to the step of someone who is, who is in the hands and arms of his father and knows it. And it's a life of worship. Something's been lost when our worship is predictable and our worship is passionless. And Jesus in this story defends the irrational passionate act of worship that Mary displayed for people in that room that day. comes to her defense. Why? Because he knew that the, the intent, the heart, the motivation for that 
was love for him. She was doing exactly as her father had told her to do. And like any parent, when your child does exactly what you've asked them to do, you know what it does? It puts a smile on your face. If you've never felt this before, if you've never felt this kind of passion, here's my challenge to you. Study God. Study God. If you want to hear it in a boring way, theology. That's the word for it. Go after God. Someone said once, one who knows God worships God. Volvos rejoice. Now's your time. Ready? Loosen up your neck. You're going to start nodding with approval. The heart rate's going to go down just a little bit. Breathe a little bit easier. Here we go. Worship that comes from the mind is what puts a a, a smile on God's face. Worship that engages the mind is what puts a smile on God's face. Did you know that? Love the Lord your God. Finish it for me. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So heart is important. Minis, trust me. God's wired you a certain way to provide a gift to the church. God's also provided Volvos in this room to provide a gift to the church. With heart and mind engaged, we've got some good kind of guide rails. Not not boundaries so much as guide rails. Romans chapter 10, verse 2. Just write this down and look it up later, but it says this. I know what enthusiasm they have for God. This is a people being reprimanded. But it is misdirected zeal. Remember that idea. Misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Misdirected misdirected zeal came from a lack of understanding. Do you see that? Zeal without knowledge, it says elsewhere, is deceptive and destructive. And that's so true. On the opposite end of passionless worship is zeal without knowledge. And it's strange, and it's dishonoring. Some of you have heard this before, but bear with me. It's Christmas time. I'm driving a recently made friend of mine home. We pull into her driveway. There was nothing romantic going on. It was just a friend of ours, just kind of getting to know her. She needed a ride home. It's a couple weeks before Christmas. And we pull up, and I'm like, see you later. She goes, wait, I have something for you. And she pulls out this gift with a card. And right away I was like, bummer. I didn't get her anything for Christmas. <laughs> like, you know, that little social awkwardness thing. And so I opened this card and I start to read this card and it basically just said, Dave, thanks so much for the friendship. Thank you for being there through all the rough times. Thank you so much for this and that and the other thing. And on and on and on this card went. And all of a sudden I realized... <laughs> I'm in a really weird situation. There's kind of a full romantic moon out. This girl is writing me a card about something that hadn't even happened. I had known her for probably barely two weeks. There were no good times. There were no bad times. There were just a few times, period. As I'm reading this card, I just thought, this is about as awkward as it gets. Zeal, passion, without knowledge is strange and dishonoring. I didn't know how to respond in this situation. 
It was really bizarre. Had this been someone that I had seen through really tough times, it would have been very meaningful and very honoring to me. Because it hadn't been that way, it was bizarre. And I was like, thank you. See ya. <laughs> Get out of my car. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, was, just, it was just kind of weird. We actually grew into being be really good friends. But it came too early and it was, it was strange. Us worshiping God. Maybe you've come across people who talk this way about God. It's zeal that's misdirected. It's without knowledge and understanding. You're worshiping something you don't even really understand or know. Maybe it's mimicking someone else that you see. Your mind matters. Your mind is either a greenhouse of worship or a hothouse of sin. Listen to David. He said this. How can a young man keep his way pure? He said this. By keeping it according to your word. That means understanding. That means getting it in there. Solomon pleads with his son to pursue wisdom. Read the first chapter of Proverbs. He just goes on to extol the benefits of this journey. Please, son, go after wisdom like there's no tomorrow. Peter says this, Make every effort to add to your faith. And in a list of seven virtues, the second one is knowledge. Make every effort to add to your faith knowledge. That means that there is a pursuit on our part. That means that there is a a going after on our part. And it involves the mind. Do we have wiggle room in the scriptures to say, I'm not a feeler. I'm more of a thinker. I don't really ever feel God. I don't think so. We're commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Is there wiggle room for minis to go, eh, I'm not much of a, of a theology guy? Or ladies that say, you know what? Yeah, getting into that stuff, I just I don't get that stuff. I'll just kind of stick to, to this side. Men and women, there's not wiggle room for that. We're commanded to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our mind. To grow in our understanding is a common theme that you see over and over taught in the scriptures. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching. What does it take to hold to a teaching? It means knowing it. Some of that is just meditating on it and really chewing on it like we've gone through the book of John. Some of it is memorizing it so you have God's word hidden in your heart. So in a moment of temptation, in a moment of two choices, you know which way to go because you've hidden God's word in your heart and you've thought about it. Some of you know the disaster of a cursory reading of Scripture and it never sinks into your life. That takes work and effort. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus said, you are truly a disciple. That means there's the, the possibility of a, one who looks like a disciple, who's objecting to everything, who really isn't a disciple. But if you hold to my teaching, you're truly a disciple. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Lest we get confused about what he's talking about, later on in John 17, he prays for us, all disciples. He says, sanctify them by your truth. He's talking to the Heavenly Father. Then he says this, your word is truth. It's a call, it's a plea to live by the book. That's why the Bible holds such a high place at this church. You and I have freedom in worship when it's grounded in the fertile, life-giving soil of God's truth. Romans 12.1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind He will find acceptable. Catch this. This is truly the way to worship Him. 
Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. That's what God wants to do. Because he knows that the mind is the very starting point of all worship. Whether it's worshiping an idol that will, that will, that will gratify but not satisfy. Or whether it's changing the way we think to really gain an understanding about who this God is. And what he wants from us. Let me ask everyone a question here. I want you to come up with an answer in your own mind. Given the choice, would you rather live without your brain or your heart? Just think about that for a second. Your brain or your heart, which is it? You're at gunpoint. Someone's asking you, you're going to live without your brain or your heart. You know what you say to that? Pull the trigger. I mean, I, what, what, what do you do with that? They both end in death, Right? You ripped my brain out today. I'm, I'm done. I'm not a scarecrow. It's not how it works. That's a cute story, but I'm done. You pull out my heart, it's exactly the same thing. Take the five senses. You could live without one of those. But you, you, you ask to be live without your brain or your heart. You're in a world of hurt. Band, I want you to come on up right now. You'll notice we didn't talk a ton about singing. That's because the American church places a really high value that, that worship means singing a hymn, singing a song, getting together in a church building. I don't want to diminish that because singing is an important part and a sign of a healthy soul. No question about it. But worship is so much more than that. As you live your life to put a smile on God's face, I want to challenge you to keep it simple. Some of you have heard this before. It's an old poem. But it says this, most of, what I really need, most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of graduate school, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies, provided they aren't made with carob chips, and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some. And draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Be aware of wonder. Would you pray with me? God, today I freely confess I have been guilty of passionless worship. Probably all of us on some level have been duped and fallen for misdirected zeal as well. Wanting to use worship somehow to gain a level of spirituality or to somehow find you. God, I pray that you would free this congregation in such a way that we would understand the heavy things of this life, the responsibility even for our growth in faith is yours. 
You're the author and the perfecter of my faith. And so my cursory study, my hours that I might pour into trying to be better as a Christian, or my self-loathing at how far I have yet to go, can be laid freely at your feet. And like a child, I can be free to worship you. I thank you, Lord, for these images you've given to us about the church. I pray that it would lodge deep into our hearts and into our minds that we're not a fantasy here, we're a family. And family has imperfect times. But family also sticks together. God, as we worship you right now through song, I pray that it would just be a shifting of gears. Pray that we'd use these words and the music and the way that it all comes together for your power and your glory in our life. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.